Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. Good morning, church. It's great to see all of you here this morning. I'm Pastor Randy Lovelace. Hi, Rick. Good to see you. Rick Florian over there waving at me suddenly. Um, Great to see all of you here this morning. Um, Randy Lovelace, I serve as pastor here at Christ Community Church. If you're visiting with us for the first time this morning, we're grateful to have you here. We're grateful to be uh, worshiping together, going to God's word together, and I welcome those who are joining us on the live stream this morning. We are grateful that you are with us as we continue to uh, ask that the Lord bring renewal in our lives. We do so for those who are joining us at a distance and all those who've gathered near. And it is uh, great to be with you this morning as we continue in this series, Behold Our God. You're forgiven because you probably don't remember. We started this last September. And we were doing a year-long series on the Trinity and we spent the fall and into December looking at the work of the Father, then transitioning to look at the ministry of the Son. And last week we finished that portion, not that we don't talk about the Father or about the Son, but last week we looked at the doctrine and the beauty and the power and the blessing of the ascension. This week we turn to the work of the Holy Spirit and for the next few weeks. And so I hope and pray uh, that this is a help to you because it is both coming not just from a place of deep commitment and study, this portion of our series is deeply personal to me because I recognized how much of my own life and walk of faith was not in dependence on the Holy Spirit. And so my hope is that you are able to get encouragement and teaching from the Lord that it would bless our fellowship together but also your personal walk with Jesus. And uh, I'm just grateful to have this opportunity to teach God's word this morning. And then we get to celebrate the welcoming of new members here at Christ Community this morning, and also to celebrate the sacrament of covenant infant baptism. So it is a full day, and it is a beautiful day. So I also wanna take the opportunity to recognize my friend, Joe Riddell. So no, nobody knows Joe Riddell, but I do. So Joe and Megan Riddell and their family were part of our church in Maryland for 10 years, and he's right there. And, uh, and so I'm so glad to have you, Joe. And uh, he's here for a work conference. You know, he's, I want to say uh, the support and encouragement from you is one of the reasons why I can still stand here. So dear brother, it's great to see your face this morning. I didn't think it'd be possible, but it's great to see you. Um, and so let's uh, turn to God's word this morning. We have two passages. Um, first, Acts chapter one, and then John chapter 16. Here now the reading of God's word, Acts chapter one. Looking back again at the first chapter of Acts as we did last week, he said to them, This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Let the reader hear. (laughs) That's, That's important for us to remember. But you will receive power with the Holy Spirit as 
Uh, and when he comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so when Jesus was, in fact, instructing them on the fact that the time was coming when they would receive the Spirit, he was simply fulfilling what he had already taught them. We hear this in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 5 to 11, where he says this, But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So pray with me as we pray to the Lord and ask that the Spirit would instruct us, encourage us, and be present with us this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the promise that you gave to your people Israel, that there would come a day that you would pour out your presence, your spirit, onto all flesh. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you taught the great truths of the presence and power of the spirit. So we now ask, Father and Son, that you would send forth your spirit anew, that you would stir up our hearts, our imagination, our emotions, our intellect, our wills, that they would increasingly be conformed to your image, that we would love you and seek to love the world for the sake of Christ. Help us, we pray. Help, Holy Spirit, help the teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Best pastor joke I've ever heard. I rarely tell them. I'm easy. Best pastor joke. It's very personal. Where does the Holy Spirit go for vacation? The Presbyterian Church. Because nobody will recognize him there. As a Presbyterian minister, that has nothing to do with whether we raise our hands. It has nothing to do with the kind of music we sing. It has nothing to do with whether we're particularly extroverted and encouraging. What it means is, do we actually believe in the gift and presence of the Holy Spirit as it is taught in Scripture because what we do is what we actually believe? We might believe one thing, but we do another. I remember when I came under conviction that I was a pastor who only gave lip service to the work of the Holy Spirit many years ago now as I was uh, deciding that I would go back and let's look at some fundamental doctrines after I'd been out of seminary for a little over 10 years at that point. And so I began to just do a word search and was absolutely dumbfounded by the absence of the doctrine or the teaching of the Holy Spirit in some of the most foundational theological works which I had been taught. 
Yes, theology books for sure, but when it came to actually doing the work of ministry, working with human beings, working with my own heart, and in prayer, not just worship, but in prayer, do I actually believe in the personal, promised presence of the Holy Spirit? This was a conviction that I came to the firm uh, conclusion that while I gave lip service to the Holy Spirit and would say and defend the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, how I lived was largely based on my own skill set, my own wisdom. And I remember that day where I left my office, which was in a house next door to our sanctuary of the church we had planted, and nobody there, I was able to go to the front row, and I say to you with deep confession, but also deep joy, it was there that I began to weep and confess how in the world did I ever think it was possible to do the work of ministry without the power and aid of the Spirit. Not, I want to say again, not as an existential experience, but do I actually believe that the wind exists? Yeah. Can I see the wind? Nope. Can you? If you say yes, we got to talk. <laughs> but what can we see? Say it. What can we see? It's a fact. So the question I wanted to ask myself, is the fruit of the Spirit evident in my life? Is the work and dependence of the Spirit evident in my ministry, in my marriage, in my relationships? And this began a two-year period of great joy and in some ways just a, a beautiful a growing depth and so know that all of that we're going to be covering over the next weeks is, has come out of that season of my life. But I also want to encourage you and challenge you to ask the question, what do I actually believe in the Spirit? And so let's look together and say, Lord, <laughs> the Presbyterian church or any church that bears your name should never be a place where the Holy Spirit is not recognized because we need him. So let's look together this morning. It's gonna be very direct and I hope very short because this is gonna be driven by practical application. First, I wanna talk about the presence of the Spirit. To talk about the presence of the Spirit, there are only two ways the scriptures understand the presence of God's Spirit. First, corporately, but then individually or personally. Corporately and personally. And it doesn't start with the New Testament. This is taught as part of the First Testament. The most part of the Bible. So, real briefly, I want you to be aware of just some specific passages that give us the promised presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to name them. Don't have time to read them all. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Isaiah 32, verse 15, Ezekiel 39, verse 29, and Zechariah 12, verse 10. These are just a few that specifically say from the Father to his people, by way of his prophets and his servants, he said, I will pour out my spirit, my presence on my people. 
Now, the way in which God made his presence known in the First Testament was by being present in the tabernacle and then ultimately present in the temple. This is foundational language because we can't understand the New Testament teaching on the Holy Spirit unless we first understand how God was actually present with his people. But when God was present in the tabernacle or in the temple, that was very local. It was corporate, not individual. God was very much present. The Lord very much led his people. The Lord very much revealed himself to his people. God was strong and faithful and loving and miraculous and powerful and interrupted and intervened, but he did so by his powerful presence, but that presence was localized. But the temple language and the tabernacle language of the First Testament is so foundational to who God is that he'll be present among and with his people and he will lead his people and they will be his people and he will be their God that we have to hold all of that together as we then go to the New Testament. Because we will not understand anything the Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Corinth unless we understand that foundational language of the First Testament. And so Paul says to the church at Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the following words. He is concerned for them because they, having been a young church, having learned under his teaching and listened to the gospel, have now begun to drift from the gospel foundation and have decided to go back to the ways of wisdom that they came from, the wisdom of man. And so they wanted nothing to do with this Paul who always talked about the weakness or talked about his need of the strength of the Lord because they wanted to what? They wanted to emphasize wisdom, skills, and ability. And then they built a hierarchy in the church. And so Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter three, after he's told them the foundation that has been built is in Jesus Christ, let each one of you take care how he builds upon it, meaning the building and the foundation that is Jesus Christ. And because Jesus is the building and the foundation, we are weak, he is strong. We trust not in ourselves, but alone in Jesus Christ. And so he says this, do you not know that you are God's temple corporately? And he says that God's spirit dwells in you. Do you not know this? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. This was an anathema to the Corinthian church. But I want to share with you, that's precisely what very quietly and creepingly through my own ministry, I realized I had been doing. You listen to the leadership books and the being a pastor books and all of these things and you go to conferences, how to be a church planter and how to be a pastor. Those are all good, but without a foundation of dependence on the Holy Spirit, that's just man's wisdom. The Spirit will blow where it will blow. The growth of a church is not based, thanks be to the Lord, not on the person who's standing on this stage. It's on the work of the Spirit in and among the people of God corporately. And so Paul says to the church, 
Do you not know that you have been built on another foundation that is not your own? And he says, if you lean on any other foundation or any other wisdom, the Lord is going to destroy it. And so he says this, God will in fact make you a temple. He is, he, God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So the church, wherever she is around the world, regardless of its buildings, its makeup, its place, its language, any church that profess Jesus Christ as Lord, know they receive the corporate presence of the Spirit. And where two or more are gathered, the Lord says, there I am also. And so what we've done in the West, we've so individualized the experience of the Spirit that we discount that the Spirit is super abundantly present when we're all together. We need plenty of me, myself, and Jesus. But that's not where the Lord starts. I need the Spirit operating in you. You need the Spirit operating in one another. So that what? When I forget or I am weak, or I am hurting, you are right there by me. The corporate presence of the Spirit is what the Lord promised. And he says, my Spirit dwells in y'all. That's what we need. Second person plural, right? Greek had it, English, well, we have it, y'all. There we go. But it's not just corporate, it's also individual. Just one few chapters later, Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians 6, because see, here what happens. When they went away from the wisdom of the gospel of Jesus Christ and lean on man's wisdom, what they began to do is they began to separate. There's the spiritual realm and the physical realm. We've got it down here in the physical. The spiritual is up there. What that led to is it led to immorality. And so Paul says, hold on. What you do with your body matters because guess what? 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Thanks be to the Lord. This glorious piece of flesh is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And those who call on the name of Jesus for salvation, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, not just among y'all, but inside you. Which means our existence in our bodies, in our minds, in our hearts, the stuff of mundane life matters because it's infused with the holy. This is the beautiful promise of the work of the Spirit. It is his presence, both corporately and personally. There is not a spiritual plane and a physical plane. Those scriptures do not understand anything like that. It is all his, every square inch. But not only do we learn from what Jesus says that the Spirit would come forward about the presence of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, we also hear about the person of the Spirit. And this is what he's saying in John chapter 16. So it's, a, it's an interesting paragraph, and it reads funny even in English as well as in Greek. But what I would say is the following. He says that the Spirit will come, but the Spirit is a person, meaning he has agency. He does stuff. 
He isn't just a presence. He intends to do the work of the will of the Father and of the Son. And in this brief paragraph, we learn of what the Holy Spirit does. Briefly, he says three things. He says, the person of the Spirit, the agency of the Spirit, does what? He convicts the world with regard to sin. That is two points. So with regard to sin, yes. I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. I'm a sinner in need of grace and mercy. But there's a particular sin in view here. And that sin is the rejection of Jesus as Lord. Because that's the context. And so he says, the spirit will come and convict the world because the world has rejected me. It longed for darkness and not for the light. But that the Spirit comes and brings conviction and the need of forgiveness. And then it says, and this, is, this is, sounds odd, but we need to hear it again, and then we need to try to understand it. When he says this, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Verse 10, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. How does the Spirit convict the world of righteousness? What he means there is the Spirit will come and convict the world of its false righteousness because in the rejection of Jesus, the world believed that it was in the right. He's just a two-bit martyr from some backwater town, from a no-name family. He was crazy. And in rejecting Jesus, they trusted in their own wisdom and righteousness. And the Spirit comes to reject the righteousness of the world that says, power and influence matters and I seek to build it on my own. I don't wanna hear anything about the weakness of the cross. I don't wanna hear anything absurd like the resurrection. I, we would, will reject Jesus. And so we'll trust in ourselves. This is the work of the Spirit that the Spirit comes to convict the world with its false righteousness. Because Jesus, it says, is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Meaning, who has the victory? Jesus. Who is the true one who is righteous? Jesus. And the Spirit comes to convict us of our false righteousness. The world's pride. But then finally, it says, and this is a hard word, judgment that the Holy Spirit will come concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now we hear judgment and we think, all right, so he's coming to make me feel bad about myself. I'm gonna get to that in a minute, but that's not what that passage is about. That the Spirit will testify that the great evil one who is behind all the great evil of the world stands condemned. Ladies and gentlemen, no matter how dark the world may seem and feel to us, and it is oftentimes desperately broken, and we feel that ourselves, and we grieve it personally, and we grieve it corporately, we grieve it out there, and we grieve it in here. But the word of truth says, no matter how loud a scream, the evil one would want to say that he is victorious. The word of God says the end of the story is victory over Satan. 
The reason we celebrate the resurrection, the reason we celebrate the cross, the reason we celebrate the ascension is that no one gave Jesus over to death for our sin. Jesus gave himself over. Jesus was not arrested against his own will. Jesus gave himself over to be tried. Jesus was not dragged to a cross and put up on Golgotha because he simply didn't have the power to overcome them. No, he gave up his glory to be a sin offering for us. He went to the cross and he set before him the joy. And he turned its scorn into the beauty of God's grace. He was buried in a grave that you and I deserve to go to, receiving the wrath of God, but Jesus showed us death could not hold him. That's what we sing. But even better than that, Jesus says, I'm just getting started. And when he says, it is better that I go, how could you say that? Who of you have not said, if you're a believer, man, it would be great if Jesus was right here. I mean to tell you that when Jesus said, it is better that I go, that means the presence of God's spirit this very moment is better than Jesus being here this moment. Do we believe that? I've struggled with it. Because I want what is unseen to be seen. I want more miracles. I want a demonstration. I want signs and symbols. I want to feel it, don't you? But sometimes we don't. And we forget that the Lion of Judah has won. And we believe the lie of the evil one. And we slowly but surely accept the doctrine and wisdom of the world. But Jesus tells us the Spirit comes. And when he comes, he will demonstrate the victory and power of Jesus for our salvation. And he will take up residence with us corporately and individually as those who believe in the Spirit. And we become little temples, as I've said before. Now, my final point. Application. First, I want to remind you, friends, that if you don't read the Psalms, you're missing out on the emotional prayer book of the Scriptures. And what you find in the Psalms, you find in the Psalms people who believe in the Lord, psalmists who who sing as though the Lord is right there. And then other times, it's like, Lord, why have you turned your face from me? The whole range of human emotion is there. I need that whole human range of emotion because pastorally, I say to you as I say to my own heart, I have a hard time believing there are days that I have a hard time believing that the Spirit is present and that Jesus is victorious and I find myself wondering, Lord, why don't I feel you? Why can't I sense your presence? Why can't I see you working? Why do I feel alone? Have you felt that way? And sometimes you feel nothing. Some of you have asked the question, hey, listen, I've been a Christian all my life and I feel like I'm not a good Christian because I can't feel or I haven't felt something by the Spirit. I wanna say clearly 
that the normal human life is found in the Psalms. Go, go, go read some Psalms and you're going to be encouraged. Maybe discouraged too, but you're going to be encouraged. Because thanks be to God, the work of the Spirit is not dependent on my feelings or on yours. And the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit cannot be systematized or absolutized across a group of people. For some, they experience a more frequent sense of the Spirit's presence for a season, and some feel it is more distant, and he is more distant. But here's what I want to say to you. First, pastorally, if you walk into this room regularly and you feel an overwhelming sense of shame and guilt because of sin, and you think that that's what the Lord wants from you, I want, to, I want you to hear this word. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what we learn in Romans chapter eight is that the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are his children. And friends, I say to you pastorally, God is not impressed by you trying to shame yourself to the gospel because that ain't the gospel. God does not guilt you and he does not shame you. He welcomes you and he gives you his spirit and he reminds you no matter what sin you have committed, no matter what memories you may need healing from and maybe you, like me, need to go through a season where you need memories healed. Walking alongside with a therapist or a biblical counselor or a friend who can help you Find release from memories that just will not let you go, that feels like a trap of guilt and shame, and you mistake it for the conviction of the Spirit. But I say to you, anything that does not drive you to the grace and mercy of Jesus is not the work of the Spirit. But I say to you pastorally, the gospel welcomes us in, and the Spirit testifies with you that you are no longer under condemnation. And second thing pastorally I would say is the problem of feelings. Some of you are feelers. Some of you have that gift of encouragement. Some of you, when you walk into the room, you're like, man, that person, the spirit is strong with them. And you look at yourself and you go, that's just not me. That's okay. God makes us and makes us different people with different experiences. And we're a work in progress, amen? Let's stop comparing our own experience of the Spirit with other people's experience of the Spirit. That is a joy killer. That's not the gospel. We don't need to completely discount feelings, but we can't base our trust in the work of the Spirit on our feelings. Secondly, not just pastoral, I want to say something prophetic. Not capital P prophetic. Lowercase p, prophetic. See, I got you. All right. If you ever say to yourself, the Lord is not talking to me, I want to say to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the presence and power of his Holy Spirit, you are believing a lie. Because the Lord has never stopped talking to us because of this word. The Spirit does not work independently of the Word. And it means sometimes getting on your knees and praying, reading, 
and praying that the Spirit would speak to you through the Word. Friends, the Spirit doesn't operate independent of the Word. Do you hear that? He's not stopped speaking, church. And guess what? Here's what's beautifully prophetic about it. How the Spirit is going to use the Word in your life is yet to be revealed. The Word is completely revealed, needs no more completion. But we're not complete yet. We're, being, we're works in progress. So the Spirit works with the Word, and prophetically, that Word works in us by the Spirit to make us more and more into the image of Jesus. So it's the Word and Spirit. I gotta go. Final point. <laughs> I, I, I can stay here all day. Okay, I'll, I'll stop. All right, final one. Powerful. Pastoral, prophetic, powerful. Thanks be to God. The Holy Spirit is not just about what's happening in your life today. It is not that the Holy Spirit is just God's presence to come in and make us feel better about ourselves and then we're done. Remember, we're little temples if you belong to Jesus and he intends to work in you powerfully so that he can work through you powerfully. It isn't just in you, but through you. We are intended by God's design through the presence and power of the Spirit corporately and personally to be instruments in the Redeemer's hands, to be moved out into the world to be witnesses to Jesus and to his character and to his grace and to his mercy. And we can welcome and be with anyone And we can be a faithful witness, not just by our words, but by our lives. Because thanks be to God, the Holy Spirit is not just my emotional 911 call. He's actually moved in so that we can be moved out. And so over the next few weeks, we're gonna look at what that moving out looks like, that the Spirit is intending to send us out to be faithful witnesses. There's so much more I could say today. I'm just getting started because I am excited for you to know and to be renewed in who the Holy Spirit is, that our triune God is so glorious and so beautiful, and we can pray to him and we can ask him, Lord, fall fresh on us. But not for us, but for you and for your glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence among your people today. And I thank you for your presence in your people today. I ask you, our Father, I ask you, Lord Jesus, come by your Spirit. Renew your people. Release us from the false reality of guilt and shame that leads us away from Jesus. Lord, unlock the promise that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we can come confidently and boldly before the throne of grace, testify with your people that they are your children. Father, I ask that you would remind them of your prophetic word that works with your spirit in their lives this day. And I pray, O Lord, may your power be made manifest in but, O oh Lord, through for your glory. Do this work, we pray. Help us. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name.
Amen.